double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. I didn't know that we were going to be doing spells, so I didn't, I didn't have anything prepared. I'm not good at coming up with rhymes off the top of my head. Maybe you're the victim of the spell. Maybe this is the point where you scream in agony because I've just turned you into a newt or informed you that there's a prophecy about you becoming the king of Scotland. Is that a, is that a real prophecy? Well, no. I, is that a reference I'm not getting? I, I'm being so stupid and highbrow, guys. No, <laughs> I, I, I said that. At the beginning, because when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with the witches from Macbeth. Because at the beginning of Macbeth, the Shakespeare play, Macbeth stumbles upon these three witches and they're over a cauldron and they're like, double, double, toil and trouble. And they're, you know, chanting over a fire. And then they see him and they're like, you, you're going to be king of Scotland. Uh, and then it starts a whole mess. Uh, I had so, no idea that so there that were is, witches uh, in Macbeth. <laughs> that is the setup of Macbeth. Yes, no, witches, witches have been around as a character uh, for for a long time. I guess so. I, I was also thinking of just going right into Dracula and being like, burn through the witches and then, and then, and I don't know the lyrics to that song, Dracula. It's close enough. Uh, yeah, the way Rob Zombie sings it is, is grizzled enough that <laughs> you, could, you could growl your way through it. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's more like, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So if you haven't already guessed, today's theme is witches. Let's get started. Let's do it. We are necromancer, which is actually a type of witch. They or well, I guess you could say. I think, or would you say that necromancers, sorcerers, and witches are all different things, or are they subcategories of witch? I am not an expert in the topic, but if I had to guess, then I would probably say they're they're not the same but they're all of the same branch of sorcery, right? Right. I would just, yeah, I guess you could say that sorcerers and witches are magic casters and necromancy is one of the magics they could produce, but then you could just go all in as a specialist and call yourself a necromancer. That's what we've done. Exactly. We we have one specific lane. That's the lane we're going to talk about. Speaking of which, I'm going to slide right into the base. Uh, oh, my transitions are so smooth. That's exactly what we do. We are the only podcast that brings romance and horror together. I'm a romance fan. Brett, what are you? Oh, I'm a horror movie fan. 
And together, each week, we watch one horror movie and one romance movie, and then we remix those genres, and we turn that rom-com into a horror and the horror into a rom-com, raising it from the dead into something completely different. A whole nother beast. Salem's Lot style. Or wait, no, that's not Salem's Lot. Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. So, witches. Witches, witches, witches. What do you think about witches, Brett? Um, I don't know. I think they're a pretty cool category. Um, I think both movies that we picked are more on the... Um, sillier side of witches and more of the fantastical side of witches but there's definitely been a few movies that i've seen where it's more about the the quote-unquote realistic version of witches and more about the sort of occult-esque you know kind of like manipulation of forces and 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 whatnot but or the the conjuring that that was a witch that that she was a witch. Uh, I forget what her or Bathsheba. Bathsheba, yeah. Bathsheba. I I don't know. I feel like Bathsheba would take the witches in the, in these movies and just completely fuck them up. Yeah, if this was a a cage match, she would be. She a three way cage uh, match between Miss Ernst. Uh, Bathsheba and Jennifer. And Jennifer, yeah. Um, oh, she would destroy them. Yeah, it wouldn't even be a fair fight. Although I guess yeah, witches wouldn't really fight fair, though. So maybe... Of course, maybe witches aren't some... about fighting fair. But yeah. also, I feel like Bathsheba would have something to say about Miss Ernst, Glengarry, Glen Ross scheme for for stealing and murdering children. Like, I feel like Bathsheba's got a great body count when it comes to uh, closing sales, i.e., killing children. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you kill your own child, that's. Uh, I guess that's a pretty good start for. A and witch. you possess multiple mothers. Uh, to kill their children again very high body count always be closing she deserves all the coffee yeah um, always be closing the casket <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the uh that's the witch's way i feel like these movies are very anti-witch uh i i feel like witches have kind of evolved in the culture to become sort of this feminist symbol of women that were persecuted for becoming leaders and providing, you know, their own services apart from men. And really witches are just very misunderstood uh, by the general culture. But yeah, both of these movies went, went hard uh, on the anti-witch. Witches are always evil. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I married a witch is, it's a little fluffier and she comes around at the end and yeah, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll get into it when we get into it. But um, the fact of that course. that Roald Dahl wrote the witches. Oh yeah. He's very anti-witch. Yeah. Oh, big time. <laughs> 
And then uh, Nicholas Rogue directed that movie, and then they had Jim Jim Henson puppets in it. It was it was pretty cool. Should we get into the witches first? Yeah, let's do it. All right, on to the witches. So, why did you choose the witches? Uh, I guess I've been meaning to rewatch this movie for a long time. You know, it's um. I've gone back and rewatched some movies from my childhood and some of them hold up really well and some of them do not. And so I was curious to know if this movie held up and the moment you said the witches, like this movie popped into my mind. Cause even though I couldn't remember the movie that well, just the image of the witches turning into witches was like seared into my brain. So whenever I think of witches, I mean, obviously the first thing I think of is the Wicked Witch of the West, but the second thing I think of is this movie. So she is the original, the original diva of the right. witch community. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, you know, I knew it was kind of more of a lighter comedy, silly version of a horror movie, but at the same time, you know, like I, w I watched this movie and then I told my brother who's got three kids who are seven, five and three. And I was like, you know, maybe Riley who's seven years old could watch it. Not but like five-year-old. That would be not, too much. <laughs> yeah. Like this movie is terrifying when you're a kid, this movie is absolutely scarring. Like, Holy smokes. This movie is like, it's unsettling. The puppetry, I mean, everybody loves puppets, right? Right. <laughs> it is unsettling, some of the puppetry. I, I would say dark crystal level unsettling. Yeah, um, but even more so because dark crystal is like, it all takes place in this fantasy world. Whereas, you know, right. they're all puppets. And in this movie, it's very... people. Yeah, very scary witches interacting with little children. Oof. Oh, yeah, and, and running after children in broad daylight, too. I mean, right. there's, there is no escape if the witches want you and you're a tasty little child. <laughs> yeah, and just how much they, like, how how giddy they are about the evil they're spreading, you know? It's... I don't know. Being a witch sounds pretty fun. Oh, I'm sure it's a blast. <laughs> Especially when you get to take off all that hair and latex skin and all that gross stuff. It's like a drag queen untucking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Shall we, shall we get into the story? Yeah. All right, so let us tell the story. And before I, I just get into the story, I want to note that the opening credits of this movie are, um, you know, just uh, a view soaring over mountaintops as if from the perspective of a witch flying over the mountains. And it's very uh, reminiscent of Hocus Pocus, which was made, I think, three or four years later. I feel like the witches walked so Hocus Pocus could run. Because, uh, yeah, there's just a, a totally similar opening credits. It, it works for a witch movie. 
So while visiting his grandmother in Norway, Luke's parents die in a fatal car crash as grandmother Helga is telling Luke about the danger of witches. Luke and grandma then move to England. One day while Luke is playing in his treehouse, a, a witch tries to tempt him with a snake and candy. Uh, interesting items. Uh, he knows that she is a witch because she has purple eyes and her hands are covered with gloves to conceal her deformed witch hands. He escapes and then shortly after, Grandma falls ill with the diabetes. Uh, her doctor recommends a seaside vacation, so Luke and Grandma arrive at Hotel Excelsior. Uh, coincidentally, the same weekend as an apparent convention for the Royal Society uh, for the Prevention of Cruelty Against Children, which is actually a cover for a meeting of witches. Uh, Luke, I do, and I do think um, I, I, up until this point in the movie, I was almost thinking that this movie was going to do the it's all a dream type bookend, because it's setting it up as a very fantastical fairy tale. And I thought she was gonna, I thought the grandmother was just gonna be like, oh, you know, uh, here's a story for you. And then he was gonna go on a dream, especially knowing this was like a Jim Henson studio movie. I. At this, but also, you gotta remember, this is a Roll Doll joint, and Roll oh, Doll is the shadiest children's author before J.K. Rowling. Like, he. If Willy Wonka, children being deformed and basically being <laughs> killed one by one in a candy factory, Matilda, abusive parents and teachers, Roald Dahl does not pull any punches. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't really grow up with a lot of like Roald Dahl. I was more of an R.L. Stein guy. Right, right. Well, yeah. Arl Stein was also into punishing children. I would have to say that for me growing up, um, Night of the Living Dummy was one of the scariest episodes of television that I'd seen. Um, but that that's a totally different thing. Um, so getting back to this roll doll realness, uh, Luke meets another boy at the hotel, Bruno Jenkins, who's just a total Augustus Gloop type. He loves eating. Um, and also Luke has a confrontation with the hotel manager played by Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, uh, about his pet mice, which are scaring the maids. So, Luke then wanders into the convention room with his mice and he has to hide when the witches come in. They lock the doors and reveal their true forms. The head witch, Eva Ernst, then gives uh, what I refer to as her Glengarry Glen Ross speech about how the English witches are not killing enough children. Uh, and she unveils that her grand plan to eliminate the children of England is feeding them chocolate to turn them into mice. It, it's still a kid's movie. Uh, and like any good what a great Sam evil plan for a kid's movie. Like we're going to, we're going to buy or set up all these candy shops and then feed candy to children and turn them into mice. Like it's ugh. a realistic threat. Like as, yeah. as a, I, I, as a child and I was a fat child who loved candy. I was definitely like Bruno Jenkins. 
uh, I would have something to fear from this. This is the kind of trick that a witch could easily have played on me. Right. Yeah. I loved candy. Who doesn't love candy? It's <laughs> exactly. Uh, so like any good salesman though, uh, she has to give us a demonstration. Uh, so Bruno Jenkins comes in the room lured by the promise of more chocolate and he is turned into a mouse. Uh, Luke almost manages to sneak away, but then the witches smell him and they chase him through the hotel. He hides, uh, so the head witch actually pushes a baby's pram uh, down a hill, so Luke has to run after it to stop the baby from going over a cliff. Uh, the baby is saved, and we make that part clear. Uh, but the witches do catch Luke and turn him into a mouse. And so Luke and Bruno, and they are now just these adorable little Jim Henson mice puppets, go and find Grandma Helga, and they devise a plan to stop the witches. Luke steals the potion from Miss Ernst's room and poisons their food, so they all then turn into mice. Uh, so they go through with this plan with a few obstacles, including a cat, a witch cook, and then also Bruno's parents. Uh, the witches eat the poison soup. They turn into mice with the exception of Miss Ernst's witch assistant who is forced to eat in her room. The hotel staff kill all the mice, including the high witch, Miss Ernst. Bruno is returned to his parents, still in mouse form, but They've basically accepted it. It's the same thing as Willy Wonka. You never find out if any of the kids get better. Like, did Augustus get out of the tube? Did my TV get back to regular size? You never know. Um, but uh, so Luke uh, also has Miss Ernst's trunk full of money and names of all the American witches delivered to grandma's house. I'm not sure if this was meant to be a sequel setup or they were going to do the witches to New York city or something. Right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but that, that happened. They, they get a shit ton of cash. Uh, and then Luke tells his grandma that he's fine being a mouse, but you can kind of tell that she's really bummed out about it. Yeah, it's uh, really upsetting. She's like, so she's crying. She's sobbing over the fact that her her grandson is just like, yeah, it's all right. I'm a mouse. It's totally cool. I like it, actually. Yeah, he got Stuart Littled, and it's it's funny because <laughs> he's so cute as a mouse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it is if you if if you had if your grandson was actually turned into a mouse, it would be tragic. <laughs> I mean, like, almost, how, do you, how does his life go on? I I know that we're we're just wrapping up the end of the story, but did you get a little sense of like Luke is a little special in this movie? <laughs> I mean, okay, first of all, you have to take into account that Luke's parents got Batman backstoried, you know, within the first few minutes of the movie. And I mean, he's just turning, he's just learning to cope with this when he's turned into a literal mouse. Um, so I, I feel like Luke is just a few years away from a lot of therapy. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. I don't know. I just got the sense that, you know, 
his obsession with mice and the fact that he's obviously not a good listener because when Rowan Atkinson tells him, okay, it's fine. You can keep your mice here, but just don't take them outside this room. And the very next thing he does is like, okay, I'm going to explore the hotel with my mice, grandma. And then like, he's, he's training so... them for the mouse Olympics. Right. Brett, he has a purpose, but anyways, let's, let's yeah, not let's... leave people in suspense. Right. As you think that, these guys are screwed forever. Uh, Miss Ernst's old assistant, the last surviving English witch, turns Luke back into a boy, and then he tells her not to forget Bruno, and then that's the end. I personally hope that she does forget Bruno, though, because he's adorable as a mouse. Yeah, he's I got think a... he's, He's even cuter than Luke with his little British accent because he's a fat little boy. He's also a fat little mouse. Yeah, he's got uh, a little a, mouse tummy. They did a great job on the little mouse puppets. I thought that they were just so, so cute. Um, yeah, I like how both of them are very accepting of their situation for, for two different reasons. Um, Jenkins is just like, Oh, I just get to sit around and eat food all day. This is like heaven. And then the boy is like, you know, it's so funny that in what other movie could a witch turn a little boy into a mouse? And then the boy is like, I have been training for this my whole life. <laughs> like, you've just made the biggest mistake of your life, witch. <laughs> it's so badass. Well, that's just the endurance of orphans. Your parents die then you become super invested in training mice. You get turned into a mouse. You kill all of the English witches. Again, I feel like this movie is very anti-witch because Luke and the staff of Hotel Excelsior committed witch genocide. I mean, it's actually kind of horrifying, the scene when all of the all of the witches are turned into mice and Rowan Atkinson and the kitchen staff are running around with butcher knives, just chip, chip, chopping them up. Yeah. The In whole a children's movie, is, movie. Yeah. The whole movie is just like casually terrifying in that, that kind of way. But um, yeah, I don't really know too much about Roald Dahl. I don't really know too much about the history of any of his books or anything like that, but as Sonia and I settled in to watch the movie and Roald Dahl's name popped up, Sonia was like, oh yeah, Roald Dahl, the famous anti-Semite. And I was like, oh, all right. And oh, then he was as also I was watching- a Jew hater? Oh yeah. And then as I was watching the movie, very forefront in my mind was just like, oh shit, this movie is like terrifyingly just anti-Semite. Like- Completely. Because they kind of flew over my head, other than I think Angelica Houston being an, a vaguely German esque or Eastern Europe. I guess it was more Eastern European. She's like an Eastern European salesman right. who wants to dominate <laughs> England um, with her candy business. Yeah. Um, I just watched, did you see Jojo Rabbit? Uh, not yet. I okay. I might see it because it seems like a different twist on a Holocaust movie. But I, I have a weird relationship with Holocaust movie. I mean, I, 
My name is Shira, and I think that that should clue most people into my heritage, but if it doesn't, it's Jewish. Uh, And a lot of my family members did die in the Holocaust. And then also uh, I have family relics in a Holocaust museum. So seeing those kind of movies definitely makes me feel some type of way, but I'm interested in movies that are more tragic comic than tragedy porn. So Jojo Rabbit, um, Taika Waititi being, I think he's Jewish or half Jewish, uh, and having kind of this interesting comedic sensibility about it does make me interested in it. Um, but I'm always like hesitant to go into those type of movies. Yeah, I hear you. I'm, I don't have the same personal connection to it as you do, but I hear you in terms of the tragedy porn and just like, uh, you know, we get it. It seems like Oscar Beatty type, you know, like, yeah, but, um, no, Jojo Rabbit was very good. Um, Mm -hmm. and so in it, it shows the little boy and how he's kind of like brainwashed to this idea that, you know, Jews are really like these monster people hiding among us. And so the fact that these witches were just like, they're just like us, but then in secret, they transform into these hideous creatures and they have all this money and they, they want to, you know, do evil things and manipulate people behind the scenes. And it's like, Oh shit. Yeah, now that I'm (laughs) reflecting back on what you're saying, I think particularly the aspect of the witches wearing wigs could be a reference to Hasidic women who don't show their natural hair. Um, They'll either cover it with a wig or a scarf. Um, So these like things like, oh, witches cover their head with wigs and they wear gloves and they have weird eyes. Yeah. And any woman, well, truthfully, any rando, whether it's a man or woman calling for a child to just come to them, maybe you shouldn't just trust them. Uh, What what do you think of grandma's lessons to Luke? I, I felt like grandma was kind of not the greatest role model. What about you? Yeah, um, I I like this movie because it's, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I don't know which episode, but I like movie characters. And this movie is just full of characters. Like, Grandma is a total character. Um, She's a Loomis. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the, what's the, what's Jenkins' first name? All I can think of is Leroy Jenkins. (laughs) Bruno. Bruno. Uh, Bruno Jenkins. Um... (laughs) Uh, Bruno is like the fact that he's turned into a mouse and then he totally loves it is just, it's not a realistic thing at all, but it's just, I love when characters are well-defined and then they make choices based on those well-defined traits. So the fact that grandma is this kind of like, she's this caretaker, but she's also this like strange sort of almost she's not evil but she's like she doesn't pull any punches when it comes to like the world is dangerous out there you know she smokes blunts or cigars who's to know so and the fact that like rowan atkinson is um is you know he's very bean ish and so perfect hotel manager character type oh great yeah 
What did you think of Angelica Houston? Oh my God. I love Angelica Houston. <laughs> She's so great in this movie. Um, I don't know. Yeah. She uh, like as a little boy watching this, like very tall, beautiful woman. Like it was just, uh, I don't know. I, I really liked her in it. And even though she turns into a hideous monster, she has this like very strong feminine appeal. And I think it's interesting when she has to like put on her skin. Oh yes. Her mask. Yeah. She's like dressing up and becoming a woman. So as a little boy, it was like women are scary and dangerous, but also like they're really pretty. And you know, it's, it was, I, I really liked Angelica Houston in this movie and her Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross moment when she like my favorite part of this whole movie watching it now was when she's like, it's her underneath all that makeup. Right. And so she's like giving this huge speech and all the (laughs) witches are clapping for her. And she like she sits back and she holds out her hands and she's like, settle down, settle down. Like, I know I'm the greatest, but She's better uh, than George Clooney at those backpack seminars. Right. Oh, man. That whole seminar is just like a set piece in just like powerhouse charismatic monologuing. It's she's totally in character and it totally fits. I feel like Angelica Houston is the greatest actress at playing evil women or just, you know, goth queens of all time. She's great in this movie as the grand high witch. She's Morticia freaking Adams. Uh, She did an amazing turn as the evil stepmother in Ever After, where she was just so perfectly bitchy uh she is a hundred percent that witch yeah i um i don't really know the other movie i know i've seen adam's family but um i don't really remember that movie and i don't remember ever after but she's she's definitely got that elvira mistress of the dark kind of well, Elvira is all camp, you know, like Elvira, part of her shtick was that she's all punny and campy and, you know, ultimately somewhat approachable. But um, yeah, uh, Angelica Houston is just this ice queen. Yeah. Um, as the daughter of a legendary director should be. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, you know what movie both of these reminded me of? What? Rango. You've seen Rango, Rango right? Again? How this is wait, this is not the first time you've brought up Rango. What is I love what is, Rango. What is going on here, Brett? Because Tell, there's a Rango, there's a Rango conspiracy. Hashtag Rango conspiracy. What is this? People need to see Rango. <laughs> the movie is amazing it's a it's it's a it's a a a computer animated film which is usually reserved for kids but it's it's a it's a neo-noir chinatown they uh, made the cover the poster for rango look like uh fear and loathing in las vegas for some reason oh yeah and they do have a little uh cameo by 
by um, Johnny Depp is what's his name? The guy who wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. Yeah, so they have Hunter S. Thompson driving the car, Fear and Loathing style. And, you know, it's like, I, yeah, that's funny. Um, I, I liked it. But, but they, um, they do a Chinatown reference. Uh, you've never seen it? No. I mean, I I saw Rango a long time ago, but I, I don't remember any Chinatown references. Oh, yeah. The, the bad guy in Chinatown is all about isn't isn't chinatown all about isn't there like a water drought in yes in john john houston is a developer and they're stealing water from the valley and feeding it into la that's that's the plot of rango rango is they're in the desert and they have a bunch of water reserved and then spoilers the obvious bad guy is the bad guy and he is stealing all the water from people and putting it somewhere else to do his own thing and so it's very chinatown-esque it's very wet it's it's filled with western um references that like as a kid you uh, what kid is watching once upon a time in the west or any sergio leone flick like what kid has the attention span to sit through a three hour long western good bad ugly epic but the like the movie is not for kids and it's not that it's like too risque or adult it's just the movie is not for kids, but then it's like, is it for adults? Because it looks like it's for kids, but then it's not for all adults because it's for people who like Western neo-noirs. So it's, it's a very, very, very niche movie. So you're saying that this is how you feel about the witches that even though it's marketed for kids, it's not for kids. Kind of. I mean, I do think it is for kids and like, but I like that they go all in on the concept rango goes all in on its concept and the witches is the same thing it's like we're gonna make a terrifying kids movie so like it is for kids but it's too terrifying for kids but for adults it's really silly and cheesy but at the same time it's really charming and like the you know the way they do the practical mouse effects of like having real mice run through all these little contraptions they did stuff. a really good job of cutting between the real mice and the mice puppets it reminded me of how um uh god why am i blinking on the show of this the mandalorian how baby yoda in the mandalorian sometimes it's a puppet and then sometimes it's CGI or a little bit of a combination between both, but they find the perfect balance between when it would be cuter to have a puppet and then when they can just have the mice, you know, running across here and there. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, I just think that Angelica Houston finds that perfect dial of like evil, but also kid friendly. So I think mm -hmm. it's just, and then I can explain why why I married a witch is like Rango when we talk about that movie. Are you serious? You think I married a witch is like Rango too? Well, okay, the movie is forget for, it, Shira. It's Rango. The, yeah, the movie is for adults. Like the movie is about 
regular adults, but it's a PG movie. And normally PG movies are reserved for kids or for really old people. But the, but I Married a Witch is like the most wholesome PG rated movie that's just like about, you know, 30 somethings. I don't know how old they are in the movie. They, I guess you could say they're 20 somethings, but it's like, what movie is about people my age that's just like a silly little romp that's like a PG little, am I wrong? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm still stuck on the freaking Rango conspiracy. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a movie like Rango that I, I use that I could say like every movie is this movie. I used to feel that way about the great Gatsby and every story basically being the great Gatsby. Um, but um, no, I don't, I I don't know the it's again, I call it, I'm going to call it the Rango cons- conspiracy from now on. <laughs> just, just to, just to put the little bow on it. Nice and neat. Okay. When I say a movie is Rango, I mean, it's so niche that I don't really know who the audience is for, but I love the fact that it just goes all in on its concept. Mm -mm. Yeah, I feel like for me, that's what I would call not playing it safe or trying to have fun. You know, I, again, I think the whole point, the first duty of any movie is to entertain, to be entertaining. Everything you do after that is, is whatever you want it to be, but... Um, entertaining people means taking risks. Um, you know, when in doubt, surprise them. Uh, well, I gotta ask, I feel like the answer to this question is pretty obvious, but who did you have a crush on? Oh, Angelica Houston. Oh, big time. (laughs) I actually, I don't get nostalgic about a lot of movies, you know, like, or a lot of things on Facebook or social media where it's like, hey, remember this? You know, if you were a 90s kid, like, all right, yeah, you know, I get it. People get older, you know, and I remember things as a kid. But the moment I started watching this movie and the cloud, you know, like you said, the witch cam was flying over the mountains in the clouds and that text popped up, I was like, I can smell the room in my aunt's house that I watched this in. Like it was just, it was a pure nostalgia bomb just went off in our apartment. And like everything about the movie was like, the more it played, the more vividly I could remember it. Cause in my mind, it was just a little foggy. Um, but I remember like crushing so hard on Angelica Houston, even as like a little boy. I always thought that my first crush was the Pink Ranger, Kimberly Joe Johnson. Oh, she's so beautiful. Yeah. But maybe, I don't know, maybe it's Angelica Houston. Maybe that's why I like bad guys in movies so much. Because Angelica Houston just freaking knocks it out of the park in this one. I don't know. I'd say my first female crush had to be Storm from the X-Men now there's a female leader. Sure. I never just... got into X-Men, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, I gotta gotta say the same. Uh, Angelica Houston, she's my... Oh. Um, the witches are here to get you. They don't like you talking about them. I hope that it's no one who expects me to come to the door. I hope... 
I hope that they go away. I always want to run and hide. It's a nightmare. Yeah, I always want to run and hide whenever somebody yeah. comes to the door or Click, pretend. turn off all the lights. They won't notice. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that's it. Um, but uh, let me reverse so you can edit all of this out. Sure. Um, so for me, I definitely got to say that it is the same. It's Angelica Houston. She's my mother and my sister. Like, I just, <laughs> I love her. Uh, or, or she's my, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she is just incredible. Uh, and I, there will never, maybe Kate Blanchett is a, is a good contender for the best bitch crown, but oh, I yeah. think Angelica, she still got it. I hear you. I hear you. So, I, so this movie was already silly. So I don't, I'm curious to know how, what, like exactly which direction you took this in when it comes to rom-comming it up. You know, this week was really hard. Um, you know, Brett and I, we live in America, so we're here during all of these protests, everything that's going on in the country right now. And um, it was hard for me to write both remixes just because my mind um, wasn't in that mode. Usually when I'm really depressed or down about myself, that's when I do some of my funniest writing because I'm just, you know, devil may care. Um, and I can go to a completely different place, but I think because all of the grief is exterior rather than just myself, it, it just feels different. So I would say that with both of these um, remixes, they're a little bit more high concept. And I mean, you as my imaginary producer, you can say, oh, there's stuff we could do here. I'd be curious to know what you think. So I wanted to focus on the hotel community aspect of mm. the movie. And I kind of based my uh, remix on a popular series of romance novels, Spindle Cove by Tessa Dare. In the novels, and this, and for people who like romance, Tessa Dare's pretty up there as a historical romance author. In those novels, it's this seaside community for women who don't fit in to polite society, and they go there to recover and to learn to find their confidence. So I thought the island of misfit toys, exactly. But for women, and there's you know romance and stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, but so I thought, well, what if there was something like Spindle Cove, but for witches? So I called my reboot uh, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, which is the name of a jazz standard. Um, but, you know, I thought it, it sounded cute. Uh, so Hotel Excelsior is the destination for a certain kind of English witch, witches that do not fit in anywhere else. The hotel is owned by Eva Ernst, an ex-Grand High Witch, fired from her position because she tried to assassinate Winston Churchill. Uh, and witches have made a pact not to intervene in human matters. <laughs> so out owned by an outcast, four other outcasts, 
uh, and I changed Luke's gender. So now it's Lucy. Lucy sure. and her grandmother, Helga, are the latest guests of the hotel. And I'd say that Lucy in this version, she's, you know, a young woman, maybe college age or something like that. Um, but her again, her parents recently passed away uh, and she failed her exams to get into which college. Uh, so Lucy appears to have a really low aptitude for magic, but Grandma Helga is convinced that her powers are just suppressed by her grief. So that's Lucy's problem that she has to work through. And Miss Ernst agrees to help. And so Lucy starts to learn about the hotel's wacky permanent residence. So you can, you know, create, you know, as you were saying, The Witches is filled with characters. So mm. I would think in a rom-com reboot, that's something that you want to carry over. You've got Miss Ernst. You've got the kooky hotel manager. I thought it would be funny if the Jenkins were a family of witches that loved explosives and they're just running around the beach setting off witch bombs and stuff, you know? So real kooky. Yeah. Um, but conflict arrives in the form of a pack of manly werewolves. Uh, and the head werewolf, Mr. Stringer, announces to Miss Ernst that the pack is taking up residence in the area by the permission of the current Grand High Witch. And then so Miss Ernst has to call the Grand High Witch and be like, huff, 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 I don't know about this. Uh, and she learns not only is this all true, but if there are any problems between the werewolves and the witches, the Grand High Witch is going to take back the hotel property. So now we've got the stakes. Uh, but of course the witches and the werewolves, they don't get along. Uh, <laughs> and even though they try to be nice to each other, they end up in a prank war because of some missteps. Like maybe the wolves piss on an altar, yeah. uh, and, um, the witches cast itching spells on the wolves and then the wolves do something to retaliate. And you've got, you know, again, male, female gender war, prank war, magical race war. <laughs> but at the same time, you've got Lucy trying to deal with her magic problem. So we'll say that she meets the guy when she's at the beach trying to cast a spell. And then one of the werewolves surprises her. And then she turns into a mouse. Uh, and when she turns into a mouse... It, of course, is the first magical thing that she's done since she's gotten there. Um, and she becomes scared that the werewolf is going to eat her, but he just holds her in his wolf jaws while the other wolves go by. So you've got like a little meat cute. He saved her. Uh, and then I decided his name was Locke because Locke is like a sexy romance hero name. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy and Locke. With an E? e at oh, the you end? know it, yeah. baby. <laughs> you know it. So when the coast is clear, they have a meet cute. And I just love those mouse puppets so much. I just love the idea of interacting with this cute, crittery little mouse. Um, but 
he takes her back to the hotel. Um, and then when they get to the hotel, maybe she spontaneously changes back into a human, but it's really embarrassing or something. Like she's naked. Uh, and then they continue to meet as the prank war escalates. Uh, and then we get the call that the Grand High Witch is going to visit. Um, so now Ernst and Stringer have to make peace. And then I think it would be funny to have this be the moment where not only you've got like the young couple that's engaged together, but Mr. Ernst and Stringer may have like some belligerent sexual tension. Ooh. Um, and then we get to the day of the Grand High Witch's visit and things seem to be going really well until the Jenkins explosive magic display. Uh, one of the explosions is about to go off in front of the High Witch and then Lucy tries to save her, but she accidentally turns the Grand High Witch into a mouse. Uh, but then this makes the werewolves freak out because they've got an extreme prey instinct drive, you know? Right, yeah. I just, I just assume werewolves. Um, <laughs> so they start to freak out and they get all overreactive. Locke tries to stop them. They think that he's betrayed the pack for the witches. Um, Grandma Helga saves the high witch mouse. Uh, and then um, Lucy... Lucy is begged by everyone to turn the High Witch back from a mouse, but she isn't sure she can do it. So then you get the whole big love declaration from Locke where he's like, uh, we all need to get along. I love this witch. Let's stop pranking each other. And then in kind of an I am Spartacus moment, everybody starts to reveal that they've been fucking you know, all the witches and the werewolves. So after Mr. Stringer and Miss um, Ernst do it, everybody else is like, and we're fucking, and we're also fucking. <laughs> and it's, yeah. you know, a moment. Um, <laughs> so all of that positive energy then gives Lucy the confidence to change the high witch back. Uh, the high witch tells everyone they can stay, and then it ends in a big party. Gotcha. You know, yeah, Bolly, like, Bollywood style. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I like movies that end with a dance party in the credits. Yeah, mm -hmm. why not? Um, yeah, I like it. I also went the route of um, last week. I, I did a really in-depth horror version movie um, for for what we did. But for this week, I was the same way. I was struggling to to focus on making these movies silly and fun and come up with a actual cohesive narrative. So I was like, right. eh, I'm just going to do a basic outline. Um, so I, I did the same kind of thing. Um, so mine is called deal with the devil. And ooh, so we, ooh. I like that name. <laughs> so we open with uh, Vanessa. I just gave her a name of Vanessa. Um, Vanessa is at a grave and maybe it's like a tiny little grave, like a tiny little headstone to indicate that it's just like a tiny little baby. Um, and the grave has one date on it. So, you know, it's like whoever it was like born and died in the same year. And the name on the grave is Lily. And so then Vanessa is like, I will have my revenge. And then, you know, someone behind her is like, on who? And she's like, on God. Ooh. 
And so, Whoa. you know, it's I like I like the rom-coms that are light and fluffy, but they start out with that really serious kind of, you know, really genre opening. And you uh, accuse me of making my rom-coms dark. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, so for this one, we cut to 360 years later, right? So it's 2026. And it's not like future. It's not Blade Runner or anything. But, um, you know, we can do like 360, something about full circle, something, something. Um, and so Vanessa is now Miss Ernst and she's at a witch convention at this hotel. And this hotel is very secluded and on the top of a mountain. And at the base of the mountain is this like giant zoo that's surrounding the mountain. And it's like this world famous zoo. And one of the animals at the zoo is the giant devil bat. And there's, it's the last one of its kind. Right. So it's like, whoa, this giant devil bat. And so what so what Miss Ernst's plan is, is she's going to resurrect the devil by by sacrificing this bat with a virgin and the devil will like be reborn through the bat. Right. And so it's like Sick. world and because she wants revenge on God. So the witches all meet up at this at this hotel. And they end up stealing, you know, like we don't see the heist, but they end up stealing the giant devil bat from the from the zoo. And so then we get a sort of hotel manager as character who has to come in and sort of he's in the background kind of causing a threat to these witches. But it's like not really a threat to them. Uh, and I do you know who Ray Stevenson is? The name sounds familiar, but no. He was the Punisher in Punisher Warzone. He's like, he's a very good sort of really manly, grizzled. Um, he's kind of like Carl Urban. He's kind of like a Carl Urban-esque character. I do love so, me some Carl Urban. Is he yes. the other guy in The Walking Dead? Who, Ray Stevenson? Yeah, no, I mind. think that's Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I don't know. I've never seen Walking Dead. But... um. Ray Stevenson's been in a few comedic little things. I think he was in The Other Guys. He was like one of the heavies in The Other Guys. Um, but he's got a very good comedic sense of timing about him. So he's going to play this like really machismo animal hunter guy. And he's got these like giant guns, but they all shoot little tranquilizer darts and stuff. So, you know, we're starting to veer into like heavy, dark gothic horror elements and we're starting to fizzle down into like light fluffy rom-com elements um and so then one of the virgins who's one of the virgin witches she ends up sleeping with one of the hotel staff on the eve of the <gasps> sacrifice they need and her can, to stay a virgin i know it's so like we can have it a fun little moment of like this hotel guy who's not traditionally handsome in any by any means is like she's really into him and she's like, Ooh, I want to proposition you. And he's like, uh, okay. You know, like, Ooh, pretty lady. All right. Um, and side note, I, d I worked as a overnight valet at a hotel and I got a few propositions <laughs> from a few people from you a, got from some a, hotel, some hotel cards. Yeah. This one couple tried to get me in their room and, uh, <gasps> then this one lady, she asked for an apple, so I delivered an apple because there's no, like, room service staff overnight. So I was valet slash room service. So I brought him up an apple, and then she tried to kiss me, and I was like, 
no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. This is an so, important lesson for the children, whether you are a man or a woman or you identify as somebody else, people like to be asked first before you try to kiss she, them. She was pretty sloppy drunk. And there was a whole, there was like a party in her room. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I appreciate it, but I'm good. So, um, yeah, hotel staff, apparently. And when I started working at the hotel, people were like, eh. It's gonna happen to you. I was like, no, it's not. And then I was like, oh shit, it happened to me, you guys. Um, so all of this is to say that there's all this hotel stuff going on. We 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 set up the big sacrifice. We set up the fact that they need a virgin. Oops, the virgin isn't a virgin anymore. Wah, wah. Ray Stevenson is a guy who's in the background who might be a threat. And while all this is going on, we meet Luke, who is an orphan, and he's a he um, is at an orphanage. And he's, he's kind of like Luke in this movie where maybe he's a little special. And so he really likes animals. And so he's really clinged on to these little plastic animal toys at the orphanage. And they have like a little pamphlet. And so, you know, as, as a kid, when, when like you don't have, like he doesn't have a book full of animals or, or anything. The only thing in the world he has, like he doesn't have parents, all that is very sad. The only thing he has for his love of animals are these like little plastic toys and a pamphlet for the zoo where the hotel is, you know, at the mountain. And so he really wants to go to that zoo, but he's a little boy and he has no parents. So what's he do? He packs his little plastic animals up and he runs away and he goes to the zoo and he goes to the hotel. And so then as he's at the hotel and they need to find a virgin, you know, like they would prefer someone who is a willing virgin, who is a witch and, you know, all this stuff. But if they have they to, need a they virgin to, on short notice, right? If they have to, they have to, they kidnap Luke and they bring him to the head witch. And so the, here's a stretch. He's got a little tiger toy, right? Little plastic tiger toy, something, something, something tiger, tiger, Lily, her daughter was named Lily. For is some this like reason, the, is this like the Martha thing? Yes. Why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? Uh, I I I explicitly thought of making Luke Lily, so that I could have the name be the thing. But then I was uh, like, we were both gonna change the gender. <laughs> yeah, but then I was like, I don't want to pull a Martha. So I was like, I'm gonna do a more visual way of pulling a Martha of like Tiger, Tiger Lily, <laughs> Lily. Why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? Say it again. <laughs> uh, so then, so then, uh, Miss Ernst, Vanessa, the evil witch, she like all of a sudden, of course, has a change of heart. This isn't a rom com. This is more like a friendship com. So it's Miss Ernst and the little boy, head witch and orphan boy team up. And she transforms him into the tiger, like into a real tiger. So then he's got, she's like escape, you know, and she helps, she helps Luke, tiger Luke escape. And so then she has to escape the witches because they're all like, she turned on us. And so then her second in command takes over the witches and the second in command is much more militaristic and evil and whatnot. And so then here's where the movie just becomes concept stuff over the course of the movie. 
she turns the little boy back into a little boy, but he's got a backpack full of these plastic animals. So every time they get into this wacky scenario, she has to turn him into one of the animals. And so then when she turns him into the animal, that animal then like disappears, so to speak. So like she, she fuses Luke with the toy and turns him into the actual animal. And then when she turns him back into a boy, the animal's gone. So it's like, you know, it's like having so many bullets in your, gun right so the powers are limited right so the first animal i'm thinking of is snake like maybe maybe uh miss ernst has to like quote unquote sneak into somewhere and to steal something and so they they use the snake as like a belt to camouflage the snake and then the boy luke has to go and like eat the whatever it is like maybe it's a magic gem so he's got to eat the magic gem and then go back and pretend to be a belt and then you know snakes regurgitate stuff and they swallow stuff whole so he's got to like burp up the gem uh maybe there's like an elephant and they have to like if there's traffic you know it's like oh we got to get by all this traffic and so whoops i turned you into an elephant and so they like bulldoze their way through traffic um, I'm thinking of a hawk. Hawks are very aerodynamic. And so maybe there's like a scene where there's like a big dance going on and this hawk's got to like swoop through all these dancing people to get, you know, again, to get the MacGuffin or whatever. Um, because they're at the top of a mountain and they have to go down to the bottom of a mountain. Maybe there's like an avalanche scene. They have to escape from which mountain? Yes. <laughs> I almost made that the name of my movie, but then I was like, no. <laughs> um, the other escape yeah. from which mountain? Uh, the different escape from the other witch mountain. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of an avalanche scene, but instead of using some kind of snow animal, they use a shark. And so Miss Ernst has to ride a shark down an avalanche. And so that like, sounds you know, pretty cool. Yeah. So it's pretty silly, pretty cool. But then at the end of the movie, they only have one little animal toy left. And of course they have to get the devil bat, which is this giant bat. I, I, I did some research for my script and I found out that 1% of bats are like super carnivores. So they eat lizards and mice and other small animals. So it's a very small percentage of bats. But of course, the devil bat is a super carnivore bat. And the, the only toy animal left is a mouse. So Luke is like, you got to turn me into a mouse because the witches have this bat. And the only way to get the bat's attention is to be its food. And then the bat will come to us. So she reluctantly turns the boy into a mouse. The bat, you know, they get the bat's attention. There's a big chase scene, much like Rango, when the hawk is chasing Rango through the town. Um, and get so it, then it, Brett, it's Rango. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then there's some kind of thing like behind closed doors. Then the witches bust in the room and they, they find the bat. And so they're like, ah, we get the bat. So then they get the bat for the sacrifice. And then they still need a virgin. And oopsie, looks like the witch who's the second in command, who's the super militaristic one. Uh, maybe she lets it slip that, whoops, she's never had sex. So they're like, all right, kill the second in command. Kill the bat. So they kill the second in command. They kill the bat. But instead of the devil rising out of the bat, it's a mega witch. And it turns out that Miss Ernst transformed herself into a bat. 
So when they killed the bat, they like they didn't resurrect the devil. They resurrected Miss Ernst and like you know like this is my final form. Uh, like so right then on Bald Mountain. Yes. <laughs> so then Miss Ernst as Mega Witch defe defeats all the other witches. Uh, of course, while all this is going on and Luke is being turned into animals, Ray Stevenson as the animal hunter for the zoo, trying to get the animals back. He's always a threat, you know, but a very comedic threat. So the animal hunter, Ray Stevenson, shows up and he tranquilizes the mega witch and she turns back into bat form. And then Ray Stevenson discovers that um, the real bat is also safe and sound and that when they were behind closed doors, they did a little switcheroo and, um, and Luke got turned back into a boy. So we have the original bat, we have Miss Ernst's bat, we have the little boy and we have the animal hunter. So uh, the animal hunter lets the two bats go. And so it's like, oh, the bat, the last devil bat now has like a, f a lady friend to be friends with. So they fly off into the wilderness. They're no longer in captivity. And then the animal hunter takes the kid on as like his kid and he's like, let's go to the zoo and now you're gonna help me take care of the animals. So it's like, oh, happy ending for everybody. And that's it. Deal with the devil. <laughs> I, I don't know if it exactly registers as a romance, ro romantic comedy. Well, I mean, maybe it's more like an action comedy, like Golden Child or something like that. I, I, again, like this is where I struggled with, you know, if I was on top of my A game, I would develop more of the relationship between Luke and Miss Ernst. Mm -hmm. And make it, you know, rom-coms are about relationships. So it's not a romantic relationship. It's going to be a tearful goodbye. Right. Sure. So it's, you know, if, if I was actually putting work into this, I'd have to do a little bit more relationship work. But instead I went with the high concept gimmicky. Right. Here's some set pieces for you. You figure it out. Kind of I thing. mean, clearly, if I were to add in the romantic side, the romantic plot line, it's got to be between between Miss Ernst and the animal hunter, like maybe kind of a romancing the stone, again, belligerent sexual tension, sure. rather than easy chemistry. Yeah. I really uh, wanted to focus, though, more on the relationship between like... A her and the boy that mother and a, a scared kid type of dynamic and so yeah no, I wanted that's to definitely that. a thing yeah you know we each I, I think it's fun how we each take different themes or or things from the movie and try to focus our remixes on that so i wanted to i just wanted to focus on mean witch and little boy and then i wanted to use a mouse that was my only thing is like Aww. I wanted to use a mouse as like the hero, but in an unexpected way. So, yeah. Yes, we love hero mice. <laughs> um, yeah, as we, before we move on to, into I Married a Witch, I want to give a huge shout out to Jim Henson in the year 1990, who God, also- practical effects in this movie are off the chain. Yes, this is a Jim Henson studio movie, I, I believe. So it's like, you know, it's more Henson-y than, than some other things. But in the year 1990, a little movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out. 
And that was a huge one for my childhood. I was big into turtles, but that's another Henson animatronics suit action stuff going on. Another adorable rodent puppet. Oh, uh, yeah. With a splinter doing martial arts yeah. inside his cage. Extremely so, cute. I, I I give movies very generous reviews. Um, Sony and I discovered on my on my letterbox.com slash one good thing account. Um, I think I have all of my five star reviews. I have I have all, all of my one through four point five star reviews don't add up to as many five star reviews as I have. I think I have like a shit ton of five star reviews and then everything else is like, eh, yeah, you know. Um, but I say that because obviously I love movies. I think- If you love it, you love it. I think movies are great. I just love loving movies, but I will say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a perfect, perfect movie. It's I, I can find no flaw with it. And I'm being 100% serious. It's got action. It's got comedy. It's got romance. It's got practical effects. It's got, like, anything you could want in a movie. It's like Princess Bride, right? Like, I I, th I think TMNT is perfect. Turtle so, power. Yes. Cowabunga, dude. Yes. I, uh, I have a TMNT menorah. Oh, that's right. I'm wearing my... Uh, just by chance, I'm wearing my Turtles PJ pants. Oh. Yeah. Well, we're not here to talk about our turtle friends. Uh, right. let, us, let us continue with our, our witches. Yeah, so I'm curious. Obviously, you must have seen this movie before I married a witch. How, did you, how have you seen it, or how, why'd you pick it? Uh, well, there are actually, there's a, there's a couple of witch movies that I think fall into the romance category that are really fun, including, uh, Bell, Book, and Candle with Kim Novak, but I decided on I Married a Witch because it was kind of the first one to do this, and then, and basically is the entire inspiration for Bewitched. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think Bewitched just ripped this movie off wholesale and, and just called it a day. Uh, I also really like Veronica Lake. Uh, and not only do I think she's great in comedy, uh, in Sullivan's Travels and in this movie, I think that she has a couple of great noir movies under her belt as well. Uh, like The Glass Key and The Blue Dahlia, uh, where she is just really great. And she isn't like, uh, I mentioned Kim Novak. Uh, it, Veronica Lake is a famous blonde actress too, but her flavor was less about being icy and unreachable and and she's kind of more laid back and fun and easygoing. She's mysterious, but she likes to laugh. She's amused. Uh, and and her whole persona, I think, really fascinated me. Yeah. Um, I'm Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Sullivan's Travels. I think that's a great older flick that a lot of people should check out because it's a really good one. 
Um, so funny. So funny. I do. I did like Sullivan's Travels more than this movie, and I did like her in that movie more than this movie. But this movie is a really fun movie, and she just had like Veronica Lake has that charming X factor, that sort of je ne sais quoi of like. I like you can she just makes tell. Frederick Mark looks so dull next to her. I, I don't know if he is normally a dull guy or if he's normally a charismatic guy as well. I don't know. So the funny thing about this movie is originally, and it is produced by Preston Sturgis, although he didn't direct it. And for, for reference, Preston Sturgis is the person who directed Sullivan's Travels. Uh, they originally wanted Joel McRae to be the lead in I Married a Witch. Uh, but since acting with Veronica Lake in Sullivan's Travels, uh, Joel McRae said, hell to the no. He Whoa. did not want to work with her again. Uh, as famous as Angelica Houston is for playing a bitch on screen, uh, Veronica Lake is famous for being quote unquote difficult off screen. Although oh. it remains to be seen if that's really uh, so much a, a factor of her actually being difficult or the industry just tr not treating her fairly. Um, right. But Joel McRae was not interested in working with her again, which is a shame because he is really charming. Uh, yeah. And I think he would have been really charming across from her um, or even, you know, Alan Ladd, who she does more movies with like this gun for hire. Um, you know, I think there could have been different leading men who would have been really charming across from her versus Frederick March. <laughs> yeah. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a dunce in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is Was there anything else or do you want me to get into what this tell movie us, is? Tell us the story. Okie dokie. So, I Married a Witch is two witches in colonial Salem, uh, Jennifer and her father Daniel. They are burned at the stake after being denounced by the Puritan Jonathan Woolley. Their ashes are buried beneath a tree to imprison their evil spirits. But in revenge, Jennifer curses Wooly and all his male descendants, dooming them to always marry the wrong woman. So we've got a little bit of Penelope cursing of the lineage going on. Um, then we get a neat little montage of all these different Wooly men marrying women of varying degrees of annoyingness and I wrongness love that for them. Montage. It's, well, the movies are so whimsical and fun. <laughs> Like when I started watching this movie and it was the witch scene and they were burning witches at the stake and stuff. I was and they like, were selling popcorn too. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was such a great moment. I was like, okay, I automatically know what kind of movie this is. Cause yeah, they're selling popcorn at like intermission for a witch burning. But then when they go into this opening montage, I was like, you know, this is going to be a fun ride. Like automatically right off the bat, you just know you're in for a good time. Um, so we, we settle in the year 1942 and a big lightning bolt splits the tree, freeing the spirits of Jennifer and Daniel. Uh, they appear as these little smoke plumes that sort of just walk. And they still talk like yeah. pilgrims saying thee and thy. 
It's so funny. So yeah, they're just like wafting their way around and like traveling around. Um, and so they merrily make their way to the Wooly estate and there they discover Wallace Wooly uh, living nearby and running for governor. Wally, Wally. <laughs> Wally. Um, and so he's running for governor and this is the eve of their, of his marriage to this very bratty bridezilla Estelle Masterson character who just, just a real poo poo burnt brunette. <laughs> yeah. She's a, she's a real poopy face. Um, and so, and her father is JB who just happens to be Wooly's chief political backer. So Jennifer and her father do some light reconnaissance and they hide in some alcohol bottles and, you know, they do some little pranks here and there and they, they, they have a little fun, but Daniel gets a little bit tipsy, maybe more than he should. And then Jennifer convinces her father to create her a body so that she can torment Wallace. Uh, and personally, what a not body. Uh, and so in order to do so though, Daniel needs fire. And so he sets the Pilgrim Hotel ablaze. And as everyone escapes the fire, Wallace alone hears a woman crying for help. And he rushes in to save her. And there he discovers a gorgeous yet very ditzy and airheaded Jennifer, who is now a beautiful blonde. And, and she's naked. Oh yeah, and she's naked. Um, and she, Veronica Lake is beautiful. <laughs> she, she is so good. And tiny. She's like four foot nine or something. She just looks like a little person. Yeah, when he carries her out of the hotel and she just looks like a little doll or something. Fun fact, apparently because Veronica Lake hated Frederick March, she put weights in the coat so that <laughs> she'd be heavier when he carried her. What did you say? She was difficult to work with on set? <laughs> That's um, just a rumor. So she is completely oblivious to the fact that they are in mortal danger um, as the hotel collapses around her. And yet she's also very observant and sort of is the only one who is providing a way out for them. Uh, so... Over the course of a few scenes, we get Jennifer trying very hard to seduce Wallace without magic, and she basically torments him by constantly showing up in places she shouldn't be, uh, especially his bedroom, and she's fawning all over him, causing plenty of awkward situations as the maid walks in and the what, and, you know, his fiance shows up, all that kind of hijinks. Um, and even though he is strongly attracted to her, he refuses to put off his marriage because he's a good guy and he really likes his fiance, despite the fact that she like clearly doesn't like him. Um, but it's a comedy, so it's silly. It's all good. Uh, ultimately, she has her dad concoct a love potion, but her scheme goes awry when a painting falls on her. And in order to revive her and wake her up, Wallace gives her a drink, and that drink so happens to be the love potion that she was going to give him. So now we are in all sorts of crazy rom-com territory. Uh, the father, Daniel, conjures himself a body, and then he starts doing hijinks. Him and Jennifer crash the wedding, um, and you know Daniel wants to crash the wedding because he wants to make Wallace suffer. Jennifer wants to crash the wedding because she wants to marry Daniel now because she's in love. 
Uh, I love the gag with the singer. Oh, yeah. That was a great gag. This movie is really funny. Um, And so, yeah, the the singer gag has very good timing uh, throughout. Because they have to um, keep restarting as the wedding gets stopped for multiple reasons. Right. And the song, I think the every time they restart the song, they kind of do it a little bit faster and more hectic to kind of cover the chaos that's going on. Uh, very silly, very good stuff. So uh, Daniel hates all the woolies and he's trying to prevent his daughter from helping one of them. Uh, but his attempts at interfering land him in jail because oopsies, he's way too drunk. You know, he always gets lost in those bottles. Um, and so he can't remember any of his spells, including literally turning... at the bottom of a bottle. Wah, wah. Uh, Shira is channeling the inner Elvira, the inner <laughs> camp. Um, and so he can't turn Wally into a frog or bend the bars on jail or anything like that. So meanwhile, all while this is happening, Estelle finds um, Jennifer and Daniel embracing. And of course, she calls off the wedding. She's, a, you know, being a bridezilla. I mean, although understandably, you know, her fiance is embracing another woman. Uh, JB, Estelle's dad denounces Wally in front of everyone and says he's going to, you know, cause a a smear campaign. All the newspapers are trashing him. Uh, But Wally finally admits that he loves Jennifer and they get married instead. And so Jennifer then uses her. I, I don't know why Jennifer is like so helpless in the movie when it comes to witchcraft. But then when it comes time to her needing to step up to the plate, she is able to brainwash an entire town into voting for wallace i think it's uh, the state because he wins he's elected even. to governor oh yeah so she like she she has ultimate power but i you know it's just very silly uh, uh i don't have a problem with it because they do little gags like even the opponent is praising wally for his you know pro, um, policies and even his you know wally wins with every single vote, not even his Voter opponent fraud. voted for him. <laughs> so it's very funny. Um, so Wallace is now convinced that Jennifer is a witch. Uh, and then in disgust, Daniel strips his daughter of her magical powers. And, you know, they he, he wants to take them back to the tree. So in a panic, Jennifer interrupts Wally's victory speech. And he helps her escape. They get into a taxi, but whoops, the taxi is being driven by Daniel, who then ETs them back to the tree by making the car fly. Uh, At the stroke of midnight, Wallace is left with Jennifer's lifeless body while the two plumes of smoke watch. And before they return to the tree, Jennifer asks to watch Wallace's torment. And while Daniel gloats, Jennifer reclaims her body explaining to Wallace that love is stronger than witchcraft. Uh, So they quickly bottle up the dad back into a bottle of liquor and they keep him drunk and powerless. And then we cut to years later and Wally and Jennifer have some children and the housekeeper enters this time to complain not about other stuff, but about the fact that their youngest daughter enters riding a broom. The end. And Daniel, the dad, remains imprisoned. Like, there's multiple locks 
on a cage oh, with right. a bottle of liquor suspended over the fireplace. It's a very dark ending for yeah. Daniel. And it's got it's this like, like contraption to keep the lid on. Like, yeah. It's, like it it's, can't it's, ever be uncorked. He got right. he got the full Annabelle treatment. Yes. Yeah, totally locked up. Do not touch. Do not open this case. Yeah. Under any circumstances. <laughs> um, yeah, but I thought this movie was, and this movie's only an hour and 20 minutes. Yes, and super short, just the way we like it. <laughs> just like the Lady Eve, when the movie ended, I was like, mm, I don't know. I think I could have used 10 more minutes of it. Like, I was just having a good time. But better to leave us wanting more, I guess. I, I think so. I mean, they they fit it all into a little bottle, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, no, this is uh, one of those movies that was constantly going from the first scene to the last scene, just filled with gags, like the, the wedding singing where she'd start out um, singing, I love you, Trudy. And then she'd do that line. It's kind of like in Groundhog Day when he wakes up, up to the same song every day. I just and then they did it at least three times, and it was it was really great. Uh, I, I we already mentioned it, but I loved seeing the woolly guys through time. Right, they have uh, unlucky in love segments. It's just. I don't know. It's just a movie that seems like it's having a ton of fun, even if uh, there were actual prank wars going on in the production. Um, yeah, I don't really like movies where characters just declare their love for each other out of nowhere. But in a comedy like this, it's silly and it's fun. Like, yeah, they're doing love potions. They're, you know, they're having some hijinks. And so... Sometimes with rom-coms, it's like, ugh, I think, you know, those characters fell in love a little too quickly. But with this, it was like, no, I want to see, I want to see all the hijinks and the chemistry develop as he's got to, like, take care of her, but also try to push mm -hmm. her away. And it was a neat little dynamic. I feel like we're meant to think that he doesn't really love her back, though, until we're at his wedding and he decides to go back upstairs instead of going across the aisle. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because until then, it's just like, oh, pretty lady. You know, obviously, she's attractive, but he loves his fiance. But, man, you know, it's... But at the beginning of the movie, doesn't the fiance even say, like, I'm about to call it quits? Well, she's tired of him, but we're meant to think like, oh, maybe that's because of the curse. Because of the curse, he's just right. really unlucky in love. But I also like the little, I don't know, I get this idea that the curse isn't necessarily broken just because he's with Jennifer. Um, right. Maybe it's a function of the curse that Jennifer is the woman he ends up with because... Uh, you know, curses are often uh, two-sided. There might be a, a monkey's paw trade-off to that curse. He'll sure. be unlucky in love, but so will you. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. get the sense that a lot more went down in that hayloft with the original Jonathan Woolley uh, than just the cursing. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I don't know how much they could show back then, right? They had codes against all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, she chased him into the hayloft. And then what? Ooh. I also really liked that making her, you know, this 270-year-old witch gave us a fun little fish-out-of-water story because the modern world is new to her and Daniel, so they they have all these funny reactions. Uh, again, all these previous witch movies helped pave the way for Hocus Pocus, which also does a shtick where... Uh, the witches still talk using their old New England accents, calling thee and thy, uh, and and using that that hokey old accent, uh, yeah. which I don't know. I I always think that's really funny in a movie like this. Yeah, um, this is the example of how to do a fish out of water story well, because it it fits the character and it's like. It's just a nice little spice to the character. It's not like the defining trait of the character. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of um, the Dark Shadows Tim Burton movie where Johnny right. Depp is just like, what's a television? Like, all right. Well, it's the same thing. You know, you were talking about Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi. What we do in the shadows is kind of a similar thing where you put these magical you know, folklore figures and you put them up against the modern world and they look kind of dorky and hokey trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Did you like what we do in the shadows? I haven't watched the movie. I've been watching the show, but they had gotcha. this really funny little bit where, um, they emailed an invalid email address and then they got a response from the mailer daemon <laughs> and they thought it was an actual demon. And, right. and just things like that, I think, are really funny uh, with uh, supernatural characters inserted into comedies. You, you play with the idea that they don't understand the human world. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely in the minority when it comes to what we do in the shadows. Because when I watched the movie, I just had a look of disgust on my face the whole time. I did not get it. Like, that movie went way over my head. Because I know everyone loves it. And I get why they love it. But I just, oof. I don't know, man. Something about it. But Taika Waititi, man, he's a funny guy. He's pretty darn brilliant. Well, Brett, I have to ask the question, who would you kill? Um, I mean, I don't know. I hate to say the fiance, but... Wally <laughs> Wally? No, the, the lady. What's her oh, name? The lady. Er yeah, er er not Ernest. Ernette? Estelle. Estelle, right. Um, yeah, no, I, ugh, I just didn't like her like right from the beginning i mean she did a good job because she was unlikable but also ugh, no i didn't like her how about you wally i like wally. i love older movies i love veronica lake i love barbara stanwick but i feel like some of the hapless men in older screwball movies with the exception of joel mccray who's just beautiful wonderful 
excellent in Sullivan's travels. Dare I say hot in the Palm Beach story. Uh, but I, and then of course I couldn't, I can't say enough about how great Cary Grant is. Um, you know, that there, there are definitely leading men of that era that can carry a movie on their charm as well. But I hate weak stick in the mud men who are just kind of blah. Like I, I like seeing strong female characters meet their match, you know? Um, that's why it's, it's really satisfying to see, you know, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn together because they, they have strong enough egos that neither of, neither of them washes the other away. So yeah, yeah I'd, I'd kill Frederick March. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I know we disagree on the Lady Eve because I liked, I, I was more acceptable of that character's the 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 main guy's sort of I mean, Henry sheepishness. Fonda's good. What? Henry Fonda's a great actor. Yeah, I, I, I Henry Fonda. Marge. Henry Fonda played the role way better for sure. But I do like in this movie, I'm right there with you in terms of. Um, it would have been nice if Jennifer had someone stronger to bounce off of because eh, I'll, I'll remember Veronica Lake in this movie 10 years from now. I won't remember. I don't even remember who the guy, no offense to the guy, but you know, like some, some of those roles are just hard to play, you know? I agree. So. Re remix time? Remix time. R r r r r r remix. The title that I went with for my remix is going to be more of that like old British-y kind of title of like, don't go into the basement or whatever. Um, I, I named mine... Say cheese and die. <laughs> yes. Uh, Something's Wrong With My Wife is the name of my movie. Ooh. Um, and so what I'm going to do is, again, this is like, this one is probably even more vague than, than my rom-com one, but I'm going to start off with Holly. Holly is a little girl and she's riding her bike with this little boy and they ride past a tunnel and they talk about like, Ooh, the tunnel must be haunted or something, but the tunnel is a shortcut. Like Pennywise's right? gutter. Yes. Um, and so it's like, it's almost like a dare. Like, ooh, I dare you to go through the tunnel. Like, no, I can't. I'm too scared. So then the little girl and the little boy go to the park or wherever, and they're playing on the jungle gym. And then the boy's parents come to pick him up because they're like, hey, we have to go do this thing, whatever. Uh, and so they offer Holly. They're like, oh, hey, Holly, do you want to ride home? We can take you home. And she's like, no, that's okay. I'll just ride my bike home. And so, you know, this would be back in the 90s when kids could just ride their bikes everywhere. Um, and so Holly goes to ride her bike home, but then she sees the tunnel and she's like, hmm, the tunnel is a shortcut, but it is kind of scary. But at the same time, I kind of want to do it. So she starts to ride through the tunnel and then like a lady appears out of nowhere and like puts her hand on the kid's handlebar. And the lady's like, don't go into that tunnel. Witches are real. And the little girl's like, I'm not scared. So, you know, she's being like a brave little girl and, you know, right. defiant against this stranger. And she's like, I shouldn't be talking to you because you're a stranger. And the witch is like, oh, very smart little girl. But then 
the little girl goes into the tunnel and the the old lady is obviously a witch like her eyes glow purple or you know whatever and so then we get the opening credits and we watch as like over the years all of these different missing posters of all these different missing children all throughout the country and the one that we follow most specifically is holly we see as like you know they use age progression technology to like make her look older uh and so then we catch up with holly later and she's you know like 30 years later so maybe she's in her 30s or 40s and holly is now jennifer and jennifer is is married to wallace and they have a daughter gretchen and wallace is this is where my this is where my idea starts to become vague. Uh, Wallace is listening to a podcast. So I'm thinking of like a serial type podcast or um, Dirty John, Dirty John it up. Uh, and the, the podcast is all about these missing girls and this conspiracy. And while Wallace is listening to this podcast, right? It's like three episodes in or something. So it's an episodic weekly podcast. Uh, he notices his wife is acting really strange. And then he notices that there's all these strange deaths that are happening tangentially to their family. So like <gasps> maybe, maybe a nosy neighbor dies, maybe a nanny dies through mysterious circumstances. A teacher visits the house and ends up going missing and is dead, found dead later. And so the vibe that I kind of want to go for is definitely that sort of, um, like more old school, scary type, like really go into the occult of the witches. And like, maybe he starts finding little symbols everywhere and things like that. And I don't know how to work it in, but I want Jennifer to kind of be like a Manchurian candidate for the witches were like, Oh yeah. She's like triggered through symbols to do these evil things. So it's not really they MK ultra her. Yes, exactly. Um, and so Wallace hires a PI to follow his wife because maybe his wife has like a weekly book club meeting or something. But then the PI ends up going missing and then the podcast episodes stop. And so he's like, wait, what's up with all these missing children? So like we have these two converging mysteries of these missing children and these dead bodies all come into a head. So Wally, of course, does the like, horror main character thing of like i'm gonna go pay the podcaster a visit and so he goes to pay the podcaster a visit and of course the podcaster's dead but then he meets a bunch of other husbands who have these weird wives with daughters and they're like wait we came to find out what's going on because what this guy is describing is what's happening to us so then they get kidnapped by the witches. Maybe like the PI shows up and he's like brainwashed and he's like, eh, stick them up, use you wise guys. Um, so they get kidnapped by the witches and the witches sort of unfold some of their secret plan type James Bond, evil villainy monologuing. And then of course, um, all the men escape and there's a body count uh, as some of them start dying. But then Wallace escapes and he finds the podcaster's podcasting equipment and he records one final podcast episode and he sends it out. And then maybe like uh, Jennifer comes back and, you know, he, she's like, he's like, no, don't kill me. And she's like, I can't stop myself. And she, you know, kills him or something. And so, but then 
you know, with his dying click or whatever, he uploads the final podcast episode to the internet, which, which unveils the witch conspiracy. But then, you know, we cut to some weird thing of like, Oh, which whistleblower. Yes. Uh, But then we cut to something of like the podcast is listed in the fiction section of iTunes and it's like, you can never tell what's fake or real these days. Maybe this whole thing was just like some writer, like a Blair Witch Project, you know? And so then we end on the fact that like everyone's listening to this hit podcast about the witch conspiracy, but they all think it's just a really well-written narrative. That's so the sad. End. Yeah. It's been a while since I had a bummer ending, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can I can see, you know, the slow piano arpeggios as we look at the world, listening to the podcast, talking about it while the uh, while the husbands are being, you know, yeah. taken. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, so there's definitely some Dario Argento kind of Suspiria inferno kind of witchcrafty stuff going on but yeah i'm curious to know how you took this movie and made relationships scary well i actually turned this one into more of a um, kind of a veronica mars type of uh movie uh if you remember in the beginning of the movie, they talk about Jonathan Woolley's fiance, who happens to have one of the weirdest names I've ever heard, Purity Sykes. So I heard this name, Purity Sykes. And then I just thought, Purity Sykes, Purity Sykes, Purity Sykes. And I it just to me, I was like, I want to do something about this character sure. and and take this wherever I would take it. And if I were doing a, I married a witch fan fiction, I guess. Um, so that's the name of my movie, Purity Sykes. Uh, so Purity Sykes comes from a family of witch hunters all the way back to colonial America. Every firstborn girl in the family is named Purity after the first Purity Sykes, who swore revenge on the evil witch Jennifer for cursing her one true love, Jonathan Woolley. And each Purity after has been prepared for the day of Jennifer's return. Just kind of like how the Van Helsing family, their whole deal is preparing for Dracula. Uh, so maybe we get to be introduced to the latest purity in like a cool fight scene as she's taking down one of the witches. And then of course, purity has a crush on Jake Woolley, the latest Woolley descendant, but she's forbidden from interacting with him because of the curse. Uh, and then one day, of course, the ancient evil returns, uh, mm. a heavy thunderstorm causes lightning to strike the tree where jennifer was hung and release her imprisoned spirit her father's and then also her son uh and the smoke people travel to a nearby hotel cause it to go up in flames and then the trio emerges terminator style uh so jennifer's father he's arrested for arson uh in front of the hotel while jennifer and the son johnny hide 
and Jennifer has a plan. Uh, Daniel will hypnotize the prison population into an army and use them to mount an attack on the city. Jennifer will see to the eradication of the Wooly family once and for all, and then Johnny will go after the Sykes. Uh, so that night, Purity is spying on a party at the Wooly residence. She's watching Jake uh, when she's caught by Johnny, and then maybe Johnny will pretend to be the chauffeur's son as he flirts with Purity, and he starts to talk about the Wooly family history and the curse. Uh, and then he also talks about how there's another story that says Wooly had Jennifer hanged because he had a child with her. Mm. Uh, so just as things are heating up between Purity and Johnny, I can't help it. I just decided to add romance to the horror anyway. Sure. Um, all hell breaks loose at the party. Uh, Jennifer has arrived and we'll, we'll say maybe the guests start freaking out because there's a plague of frogs. Maybe some people start, you know, spazzing out and going berserk and, I don't know, leaping off cliffs or fighting each other. Uh, and then Purity wants to stop what's going on, but then Johnny reveals that he's a witch and then he and Purity have to fight. So while Jennifer is just causing mayhem, Purity and Johnny are fighting. Uh, and then Purity feels really betrayed because they were having a really nice time before that. Uh, and then also Johnny's kind of not in it. This is more about Jennifer's revenge than his. He's, you know, caught in the middle. When you uh, say they're fighting, are they like spell fighting or are they martial art fighting or i would think that for purity that she's got some kind of like castlevania whip claw distance weapon of some sort uh and then johnny as a witch would be using spells uh and maybe you know flying and stuff casting fireballs uh so just uh, here we are okay so yeah Jennifer just totally destroys the party and kills everyone except Jake because he resembles uh, his ancestor, her old enemy and lover. She decides she's going to keep him as her slave. Uh, and then Purity, even though she fights really hard, loses. Uh, so Johnny takes Purity to Jennifer and Jennifer tells them that she's going to kill Purity, take over her body uh, as a final stab in the gut to the original Purity, who Jennifer believed was just a jealous little hypocrite. And she reveals to Purity that her ancestor was also a witch. So everything that she's been fighting for was a lie. Aww. The Sykes family were witches all <laughs> along. They're hypocrites. Uh but Johnny, seeing that Jennifer doesn't really want to take revenge on the Wooly family, she isn't taking that final step to eradicate all of them. He feels betrayed. He sees it as a rejection. Um, he decides to turn on his mother and free Purity, and then they face off the big bad together. Uh, and then Jennifer's joined by Daniel and his army of hypnotized prisoners. We've got Purity, Johnny, and maybe the other witch hunters and good witches that come to their aid, but they're outnumbered 300 style. And there's just like a big old battle between the good and the bad. 
but then the good guys win, except you can't let the good guys win without some kind of casualty. So we'll say that Johnny is mortally wounded. And then Purity, now understanding that she has magic, she possesses magic, manages to transfer Johnny's soul to a black cat. And then it ends kind of ambiguous but hopeful with them together trying to figure out how to get him a new body. Uh, no, I would what? stay a cat. You want you, you want Johnny me? to stay a cat? I have a cat named Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> but what if Johnny was a witch's son and Johnny wanted to return to his human form so that he could be with? No, Johnny the... is Johnny is like our cutest, littlest, babyest cat, and he's so cozy all the time. No, I if, I, this if Johnny, I could be this Johnny and that Johnny aren't the same. If I could be transformed into a cat, oh my god, sign me up. That's so a happy think, ending. That's you a think happy your ending. wife would be okay with just you being in cat form? I yeah, Sonia and I ask each other all the time, who do you love more, me or the cats? And before we even finish the question, the cats. It's the cats. Yep, for both of us. <laughs> we love our cats so much. I mean, I love a talking black cat as much as the next Sabrina fan. So I, I don't know. I just, for some reason, in both of my movies, animals that talk and are cute, I feel like we gotta have it. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. I love talking animals. Yeah, but yeah there, there you have it. Purity Sykes. The like Jessica it. Jones of witch hunters. <laughs> Very nice. I don't know if you've done a lot of like actiony type movies. I know I've veered into action territory more than a couple times, but I can't remember the last time you went full on action. This is the first time in a while. Yeah, I, I'm glad I like you it. pointed that out. I I feel like if I go horror adjacent it's usually more into thriller right. or uh, or something like that mystery instead of just going straight action but i just i don't know i heard the name purity sykes and it made me think of a comic book and yeah. so i i wanted to create kind of a buffy the vampire slayer type hero but witch hunter instead yeah no i really like it i think it's a. Uh... I think it's a good one. Isn't Purity Sykes just a ridiculous name? It is, yes. <laughs> Purity. Hello, my name is Purity itself. <laughs> well, as we as we wrap things up, shall we get into Love Bites? Yeah, um, before we get into Love Bites, you wanna do some of those pluggy plugs? Pluggy plugs. So we are on Instagram as at the Necromancer Podcast. Twitter is at Necromancer Pod. And then Facebook, I think, is also Necromancer Pod. Yes. But either way, you'll find us. Look for that stabby little heart. We're there. Yeah, give us those five-star reviews. Uh, write reviews. All of that helps the search engines and whatnot. Um, we may even mention you on the podcast if you write a review. Yes, and uh, necromancerpodcast at gmail.com for any other feedback of any other sort. 
questions, comments, anything you want to say to us, as long as you're being nice, no assholes. Yeah. I mean, you could be an asshole. We'll just, we'll put a curse on you and your entire family. Exactly. Right. It's um, just as the prophecy foretold. <laughs> so I've got a, I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull a Shira on this one. For oh, my you got a twofer? Bite. I'm going to go for a twofer and I'm going to go for one thematic recommendation. <gasps> Ooh, you're really pulling a Shira Ooh. this week. Full Shira. Um, so my first recommendation is going to be super short. I'm going to go with Sonic the Hedgehog. Holy crap. Sonya and I watched this movie. We were expecting just a dumb little kids movie, but we both are like Jim Carrey and we're like, all right, we get it. I don't like the Sonic games at all. I hate the Sonic games, except for Sonic Pinball. They have really think, good music. Yeah. But, oh, I, like, I, so I'm not like, nostalgic about sonic or anything but holy crap this sonic movie was so fun um i mean if you're just open to kids movies being fun they make a lot of great character choices they give sonic a lot of good motivations they give the human guy james marsden a lot of good motivations but a lot of the side characters instead of just acting like oh it would be funny if they did this it's like no their character is funny because they're reacting from that character's point of view and not just from a bland, this is funny point of view. So I think Sonic, man, I'm really looking forward to the sequel, you know, and huge win for the internet because if you follow Sonic PR, you know that the original Sonic design for the movie was Oh yeah, they absolute, went Uncanny Valley. For the <laughs> it first was an one. absolute nightmare abomination. And then the internet threw a huge not I guess it wasn't a hissy fit, but they like they rightfully put Sonic on blast and then they went back and redid it. And I think if if that movie had the original design, it would be terrifying. But with the cartoony design, ugh. Sonic is so lovable. He's like this adolescent teenage boy who just gets into trouble and he's got attitude. And it was, I, I really, really liked it. Um, and then for my second love bite, I'm going to go with Manhattan Murder Mystery, which is a Woody Allen movie. And so I know Woody Allen is maybe a little bit of a controversial figure, but he's also a very prolific filmmaker. Um, I mean, it, Again, there's a lot of great artists who are Jew haters. There's a lot of great artists who are sexual predators. Sometimes you have to divorce the art from the artist. So Manhattan Murder Mystery does have Angelica Houston in it, who plays. Uh, it's, it's Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are a married couple, and they they have a very good relationship, but Diane Keaton is starting to drift away from Woody Allen. And in the process, she also thinks that her, that their neighbor killed his wife. And so Alan Alda comes in and plays opposite Diane Keaton and they start to really bond and connect and form a, a relationship while she drifts away from Woody Allen. And Woody Allen plays like a book manager or something like a talent agency manager. And one of his clients is Angelica Houston, who plays a book writer. And she comes in and she is like 
super sexy, seductive, like, hey, Woody Allen, you and me, we should get together. But Woody Allen is like, no, I like my wife. So it's a very, it's very quirky, very silly, very light, very funny, but it does deal with murder. And so it's a very Shira comedy. Of course. You know how much I love murder with my comedy. Um, But it's also, I mean, in terms of filmmaking, it's got these great one shots and these great like cinematic touches. Like, you know, I think it's really impressive to do these oneers. Like Steven Spielberg does a lot of these great oneers that aren't super flashy. It's just, we don't need to be, we don't need to cut this scene up in editing you know, to bits, just let it play out. Um, so there's a lot of just great, subtle, cool filmmaking, but the movie's very, very funny. And Diane Keaton is great in it. Alan Alda, Angelica Houston, they're both great in it. I really do like Woody Allen as a character, um, but this is more top tier Woody Allen. instead of you know, sometimes you can get a little grating, but um, yeah, it's definitely a top tier Woody Allen movie that I think goes under the radar. And Houston only plays a small role in it, but she, oof, anytime she appears in a movie, you take notice. That is absolutely true. So how about you? Do you have two love bites for us? I, I restrained myself to one this week, and it is a TV show that is uh, on Freeform, or if you use Hulu, it's also accessible through Hulu. And it is called Motherland Fort Salem. The premise of the show is an alternate reality in which the witches of Salem have made a pact to protect America in exchange for ending the persecution of witches. And so uh, it means that in modern America, All witches are conscripted into the military and must defend the nation, both at home and abroad. So it's, I think that the show has this really creative original concept. It's about witches uh, and it follows this unit of witches, these three witches, as they complete their basic training. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Attack on Titan, which is another kind of science fiction speculative show where you follow a trio of characters as they undergo military training. Uh, And so I, I found that concept to be really fun, but I have to admit the thing that I like about this show most of all is the opening sequence where they have, uh, instead of Washington crossing the Delaware, it's a painting of the witches crossing the Delaware and how different American history is since the witches are the ones that uh, provide the power. They're the weapons of mass destruction for, uh, for American conquest. And then they, they cut those pictures with uh the flag, the American flag being sewn. Uh, So I I just think that the aesthetic of the show is really fun. Yeah, I didn't know. I've I've seen it browsing through Hulu a couple of times, but I had no idea what it was about. It sounds... You would like it. Yeah, it sounds really fun. 
Yes, yes. It's yeah. it's very yeah. I feel like it. It's almost like an anime, <laughs> right? In in the way that the the, the show plays out. But uh, yeah, if you are into witches and you want to watch a fun show, Motherland is it. Very nice. All right. Well, that is all for today, folks. Talk to you witches later. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.